episode of the Show Before the Show podcast, the official podcast of Minor League Baseball. Before we started recording, we were talking about um, people who have commented on like music shirts that we uh, have worn. Sam is currently wearing a Tyler Childers shirt. And I asked him, I said, how do you pronounce the last name? Is that guy say Childers or Childers? And we, we believe it's Childers. But he was... Uh, he was approached by somebody uh, actually when he was in Denver commenting on his shirt. And then I told him a story of when I was approached uh, by somebody in New York when I was wearing the shirt of a band I love called St. Paul and the Broken Bones, who I actually ran into. I ran into the band uh, at Denver International Airport once. And that was like the coolest thing ever. Ben, we didn't get a band T-shirt commentary story from you. Do you have a band T-shirt commentary story or do you have like a, I once ran into this musician randomly story? Um, yeah, I've got a, quite a few stories of that nature. Um, trying to think of one. Uh, well, I used to, in high school, I wore band t-shirts in junior and senior year, uh, four or five times a week, really. Um, and for a time, one of the bands who I represented the most was a band called therapy therapy with a question mark at the end of the name. That's part of the band name therapy. therapy? Yeah. They're from, uh, Ireland. Uh, one album in particular, Nurse, uh, I just loved um, in my freshman year of high school, particularly. Um, and one of the songs on Nurse is called Teeth Grinder. And I love that song, Teeth Grinder. And I had a Therapy Teeth Grinder shirt that it said the band name Therapy. And then below it, it just had this close up of like a mouth, like propped open, I guess, getting some dental work, maybe for teeth grinding. So it was really a. Uh, kind of gross and um, in your face, but very high school. And in the office earlier, or was it earlier this week, we were kind of talking about just us, you know, in uh, when we were kids, I forget how it came up or like old pictures of us. And as we were teenagers and I had that uh, copy of that picture, which is my junior year of high school class photo. I have a shaved head, and I'm just making this weird scowling face. And I have this shirt that says therapy and a very teenage Ben, uh, to say the least. But um, the expression on your face looks like you are saying therapy question mark to the camera. Yeah, basically. Yeah. Therapy. therapy. As if somebody has just you've captured introduced the concept thought. of therapy to you and you're just like, Ugh. yeah, but that's basically <laughs> how I felt. I also had another therapy shirt and I don't understand the connection here. It just had a gun over top a big red heart and i didn't really know why it had a gun over top a heart but that's a pretty heavy imagery and i wore it once like at dinner and my mom was just like what is that and i was like it's my new therapy shirt it rules therapy rules and she's like no you're not wearing a shirt with this like gun on it and um she really put her foot down on that one and I, As she should. And I look back I, on I want it to be the I look back policy. on it there's some of those arguments that i, I look back on i'm like nah my mom's also from a rock and roll generation. She should have understood. Like, we didn't even change genres. I was like, you boomers, like, your kids also like <laughs> rock and roll. And, and and music from the same genre was too difficult for you? Really? Like, you didn't even have to switch genres. That's a fair um, point, actually. So I, had, I have a little resentment about that. But also, I see that shirt now. And, of course, now there's all this guns and teenagers and horrible things. Um, but, no, I shouldn't have been wearing a shirt with a gun on it. And therapy, why did you just make a shirt with a gun on it? In a heart. What did that even mean? I yeah, gotta get in touch. Kind of an interesting visual brand. Uh, <laughs> just like, yeah, yeah. That's, yeah. I feel like that was a top that you just pulled, Ben, and just was, we were waiting for Ben to spin. Um, <laughs> yeah. 
I could go on and yeah. on and on. You said band t-shirts? Well, yeah. Yeah. Boy, let me tell 25 you. years ago on what belongs on t-shirts and what doesn't and what our parents' influence on our uh, rock fandom. <laughs> yeah. We'll start a whole separate podcast. Yeah, right. I like that. I like that idea. Um, all right, you dudes. Well, uh, thanks for joining us, uh, whoever you are, wherever you are, tuning in on this week's episode of the show before the show. You can get in touch with us, podcast at MILB.com. And uh, we got a lot coming up for you on this week's episode of the show before the show. And we're going to kick things off with a trip to Jacksonville, Florida. Not an actual physical trip, but uh, Ben took a trip uh, via the magic of the Internet and uh recording uh an interview uh jacksonville's got a fun promo coming up that we're going to hear about and then we're going to talk a little bit more about jacksonville but uh ben give us the the lowdown on what's going on with the jumbo shrimp well you know i've been saying this for years um the jacksonville jumbo shrimp to me consistently have the best promo schedule in all minor league baseball because it's throwback in the sense of just anything goes a bunch of really ridiculous ideas this kind of hey why not minor league baseball mentality which is unfortunately a little harder to find these days in terms of the total absurdity. So I try to celebrate it anywhere I can find it. So we're going to talk to David Ratz about one of their upcoming promos taking place on May 19th, public domain night. So let's get right into it with David Ratz, promo director for the Jacksonville Jumbo Shrimp. Here on the show before the show podcast, we are joined by David Ratz, the promotions director for the Jacksonville. Three, two, one. Here on the show before the show podcast, we are joined by David Ratz, the promotions director for the Jacksonville Jumbo Shrimp. I've been a uh, a fan, a celebrant of a lot of the Jumbo Shrimp promotions over the last couple of years, especially the ones uh, under David's uh, domain. And speaking of domain, there is one we want to talk about today. Definitely one of the more absurd theme jerseys you'll see this season. I'm already a fan. It's public domain night in Jacksonville. So first of all, David, thank you for being here. Yeah, appreciate the opportunity. And second of all, I'm really excited to go into public domain night because let's just lay it out right up front. These theme jerseys you're wearing have Steamboat Willie on the front. They do. King Kong on the back. Yes. And both these images are overlaid atop Van Gogh's Starry Night. Yeah. It's uh, it's interesting. Okay. Let's get into it. Tell me about the impetus for public domain night and what these jerseys are all about. For sure. I mean, you know, anyone who's worked in minor league baseball knows, you know, you, there's there's certain things you skirt around to try to be able to promote nights. Um, you know, certain things you can and can't touch. And then, um, you know, we we noticed oh, Steamboat Willie in the news because it has become public domain with that version of Mickey Mouse. You know, so it got us thinking of like, okay, let's do something along the lines of public domain night. So did some more research, found King Kong is in the public domain. And then just, you know, looking at some some famous artwork, uh, discovered that Starry Night was in fact in the public domain as well. And so presented that to them and said, okay, how about we take probably three of the most famous images we can find that are in the public domain, but that are easily recognizable. And we'll stick it on a jersey. We'll we'll base a name behind a promo promo night behind it, and see what we can do. Yeah, and I'm no uh, trademark or copyright law expert, but the public domain means anyone has access to images 
and works of art after a certain amount of time. I believe it's 90 years. Yeah, 90, 90, not, yes, 90 something years. Yep. Yeah, so that's a, I mean, I think a great law overall in terms of like returning art to the people um, after a certain amount of time. Um, when you researched this, did you, I mean, you mentioned three big ones that are going to be on the jersey. Uh, obviously, did you find other things that you thought, oh, we could go this direction or that direction? Uh, a lot of silent movie stuff, which, you know, we've done a silent movie night in the past, which is cool. Um, yeah, I mean, th there's definitely some, some, some old, a lot of songs, uh, and stuff from, you know, the, the twenties and before a lot of black and white stuff. Um, so, you know, there's enough there for a small theme night. Um, mostly just kind of a, you know, a, a shock value with the Jersey was what we're going for. Just something different, um, and, and, and fun and dumb and, you know, why not? Yeah. That's kind of our, kind of our motto. Why not? Absolutely. That's the great minor league baseball spirit. And I love that the general <laughs> emperor uh, always tapped into that mentality. Um, you mentioned, you know, a small theme night, maybe not uh, one of the year's biggest blowouts, but what are other elements that you've been thinking of in terms of the night itself, how you can celebrate the public domain? Uh, loudly singing happy birthday to somebody during every inning as that, you know, was a big trademark uh, versus public domain thing uh, back in the day. And, you know, honestly, still putting still putting some finishing touches on some other things that that, that we can do. Um, and if it's, you know, finding uh, costume characters for King Kong or Steamboat Willie or something like that, you know, just some of those things that are in the domain and kind of incorporating it more uh, in the night or even celebrating without mentioning names, things that will be coming into the public domain soon. Yeah, when it comes to a theme night like this, I mean. The you know relative weirdos such as myself get excited for the more absurd uh, theme nights and jerseys uh, such as this one, but you know how do you sell it to the fans who might not really be as into such a, a high concept? I mean I don't know if it's low art, high concept. It's high concept and low art, I suppose, uh, all together at once. Um, in terms of uh, an image like this, but um, you know, do you have concerns about like who's going to get this? Uh, how do we educate people or is it just one of those things like, hey, it's fun. And if you get it, you get it. And you go home just having had that much more of a good time because something so ridiculous happened. That That's exactly right. It's the latter. You know, if you came out and you get it and you have fun. Awesome. If not, we have 74 other theme nights on the promo calendar. You know, something is sure to to get you going or get you excited. You know, it's it, yeah. I mean, with with. I mean, any city that's as diverse and different, you know, you, you got to try to mix it up. And so this one happens to be for some art aficionados and some uh, old, old movie uh, buffs, which would be awesome. But it may not work with, uh, you know, your Gen Y, Gen Z. And that, and that's OK. There's nights on the calendar that would, would work for them. Yeah. And speaking of, I just this popped into my mind as, as we were talking, you mentioned silent movies. I mean, you are the one team I'm aware of who in the past has had, has done uh, silent movie nights. And I guess you were working with uh, public domain with that concept as well. Yeah, that was a, that was an interesting night. I think it was, was either 17 or 18. But the hard part about that is taking all your PA reads and turning them into computer slides, uh, graphic like old silent movie cards. But yeah, that was that was a pretty fun night as well. Um, that's I would suggest any team try that that hasn't. Uh, it's pretty cool. 
Yeah, and what night do you have public domain night scheduled for uh, on the calendar? Is oh, it, does it have a date? That's a good question. Yeah, it does. It will be uh, Sunday, May nineteenth. Sunday, public domain night. Sunday, May nineteenth, and the yep. full promo schedule will be released uh, next um, month. In case. Yeah, I, it'll it it'll probably be out when this airs, uh, as it is dropping uh, Monday morning. It will be released. Uh, press release will come out uh, Monday. So by the time you're hearing this, it'll be, it'll be it's it's out there. All right, and uh, you know I, I've talked about this on the podcast before, written about it. I mean, I do think the Jumbo Shrimp have one of the uh, best promo schedules in minor league baseball for sure, and you're the mastermind behind that. Uh, do you have any uh, sneak previews of stuff coming out this week, or is it all under wraps? Actually, no, it'll be out by the time this yeah. podcast comes on, so it's not under wraps. What else are you looking forward to on the 2024 promo calendar? Yeah, I mean, uh, there's a, a, some some fun ones. Uh, you know, being in Florida and sometimes the political state that it is, uh, banned book nights is uh, going to be one of my favorite uh, nights where it's not what you think. We'll be uh, reading passages from our music band's favorite books on the video board. So we will celebrate band book night. Um, we're having a snow day, snowball drop, where, you know, we'll have about a thousand white uh, beach balls that will throw off the sweet level during the seventh inning stretch, turn it into a nice snow day for snow-related activities. Um, we're going to have a ballpark rave. Quoth the rave, give me more. Uh, we'll have a ton of glow sticks and utilize our LED lights where after every half inning for about 10 or 20 seconds and until the pitcher starts to warm up, we'll throw on the LEDs flashing and have some EDM going and basically turn the ballpark into a rave, which will be pretty cool. Um, let's see. What else am I looking forward to? Uh, uh, Hip hop night, as you know, if you've been paying attention lately, the 50th anniversary of hip-hop genre so live uh dj in the stadium doing every players at back at bat music all the pre-game uh music the between inning games and be doing this fireworks soundtrack live uh, from the concourse or from the the seating bowl actually which with the dj it's going to be pretty fun um going with the weird and wild we will have mystery egg roll night uh where our food and beverage department is going to fry up god knows what in a ton of different egg rolls and we're going to make people eat them because why not uh one that will probably speak uh to you is this promo night goes to 11 as we do a uh, spinal tap tribute without actually mentioning spinal tap so edit that part out where i just said the word spinal tap <laughs> uh but that'll be a, a a fun one and then um what else we got are you building a uh, stone hedge for uh Oh yeah. I'm trying to figure out how I can have it lower from like the third level and all that fun stuff. And currently wrapping the zucchinis and tinfoil as we speak. So <laughs> it'll, uh, it'll be really good. And then, uh, ginger reveal night where if you've always wanted to be a redhead, but have been afraid, we'll, we'll dye your hair red during the game and bring you out on the field and reveal you to the, to the, to the crowd. We'll do a nice family friendly ginger, ginger reveal night. Gorgeous. I love it. Um, yeah. Well, to, to wrap up, um, I know one of the more memorable promos of last season was the salute to duct tape night where you were duct taped to a concourse <laughs> pole. 
uh, cut yourself down after a while because uh, you weren't feeling uh, too good physically. Yeah. Tape to that pole. Ended up uh, wheeled out of the ballpark and denying uh, medical care and an ambulance ride to the local hospital. The details to this day seem a little murky over exactly what <laughs> happened, but do you see a return yep. to that or some sort of duct tape redemption in your future? I don't know. I mean, my wife would say you better not. Um, you know, there's no no plans to suspend myself from any uh, fixture in the ballpark this year. But, you know, the, the year is still young. So if uh, something pops up that, you know, m- maybe I'm descending with the tiny Stonehenge uh, on that night. You never know. Yeah, it's a dangerous job, but somebody's got <laughs> to do it in Jacksonville. That man is promotions director, David Ratz working on behalf of the jumbo shrimp and bringing the absurdity to minor league baseball fans in Jacksonville and to anyone else who's paying attention in terms of uh, some of the weirdest promos in the game and uh, always worthy of celebration and always good to talk to you. So thanks for joining the show before the show podcast. My pleasure. The uh, public domain <laughs> Jersey is like such a that's like if you were to throw that promo into year one of the show before the show podcast would be right at home like that's a very classic perfect uh kind of needling minor league baseball promo i'm sure the van gogh folks are i'm sure they're pumped <laughs> yeah it's celebrating. one day i bet that's what he was envisioning he's like painting starry night and he's like you know what someday is gonna be on a minor league baseball jersey I could invent baseball now, so it would be on a baseball shirt. So I'm not going to do that. I'm going to wait for somebody else to do it. Let somebody else do that. Yeah. Uh, I'm very into this whole thing, though. This is this is fantastic. Yeah, me as well. And I, I love the, uh, the, the overall mentality they have. And, um, you know, in that interview, David Ratz talked about some of their other promos that they're doing. Um, just a few more that I found as I was going through their recently released uh, promo schedule. Um, just really ridiculous ideas. Like, not a lot of info on this one, but April 18th, inopportune laugh track night. I hope they don't do it on their own players. Like, if their own player strikes out and it's just like, oh, sorry, we have to stick to the script that said. Yeah, you got to be in good taste. How inopportune is inopportune? You can't have a guy crumpled in the batter's box after getting hit by a pitch. and then (laughs) Use the same laugh track that we use for uh, Ghost of the Miners every episode of Ghost of the Miners. Exactly. But I love the idea. There is a Spinal Tap tribute taking place on July 2nd. Uh, Why isn't it on July 11th? Good good point. Maybe they're know. not home they on July be, 11th. Yeah, or or and 11th. Yeah. And, uh, you know, more info to come, but um, it's presented on the promo schedule. They have presenting sponsors, even when they don't really have sponsors, but it's presented by a zucchini wrapped in foil. So um, I'm sure that will be <laughs> a big part of that night. Um, how about this on July 31st? I'm scrolling down. There it is. Uh, shower beer night. Okay. That's I just had a shower beer recently. Right. I, I know uh, I'm not the only one. Oh, go ahead. Talk. Yeah. No, no, no. I was just going to say I did dry January and then I got done with, uh, it was, I don't know, February 2nd or 3rd or something. I still hadn't had a, had a drink. I went, I played hockey. I had a great day and I came home and I said to my wife, I think I have a shower beer. And she goes, I think you should do that. It was fantastic. Yeah, it's a, it's a great thing. So a great a promo dedicated to shower beers. And this is the write-up here with David Ratz, the promo director, presumably writing in the first person. I know I'm not the only one who grabbed, uh, who's grabbed a cold brew and hopped in the shower after a hot afternoon of yard work. 
Let us reward your afternoon of yard work tonight. We'll pick some lucky fans and happily give them a beer if they're willing to drink it while getting sprayed by a hose. <laughs> I was like, are they going to have like shower? Like the, 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 the going down the rabbit hole of yeah. filming fans while they're showering is a. <laughs> Yeah, no, maybe they, it's more like the Orioles showers that they were doing last year. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I think yeah, yeah, yeah. keep you your clothes hose, on, just yeah. get a hose, but yeah. shower beer night. Uh, random municipal water system giveaway night. Who among us hasn't sipped some intoxicating liquid from a mason jar at one point in their life? Well, you may not want to do that tonight as we celebrate random municipal water system giveaway night. If you get here before we run out, you could be going home with a jar of good old government water. Okay, if they run out of like drinks at the bar or something like i was I thinking do they like send away travel? different municipalities and be like can you send us a bottle of your water we're gonna be yeah, yeah, yeah right yeah. Going all through duval county all the different uh municipalities uh three inning triple header join us for the first and last triple header in jumbo shrimp history we'll play three abbreviated games each lasting three innings the fun part is we won't tell the players <laughs> <laughs> We won't tell the players. We won't tell the Miami Marlins we're doing this. We won't tell the International League. Yeah, I was going to say, I'm also, I'm not sure that the International League is going to count those three inning segments as separate results. Not, I'm not sure so. that's how it works. I want the manager to have like an opener that day, though. Yeah. Yeah, you know, only use three pitch- pitchers. Yeah, just go it. like first three innings and try to credit him with a complete game. There we go. Yeah, and finally, we could go on and on, but uh, this might have been done before, but I love it. But kids headshot drawing day. Ask your kids to draw our players and send it to us. We'll feature as many drawings as we can as the player headshots. And then please email your drawings to david at jackshrimp.com. So that is pretty great. I, I love that kind of thing. That's a really good one. I like for that. For some reason, in the accompanying photo for that promo description is of Snoop Dogg next to a very poor drawing of Snoop Dogg. <laughs> huh. I mean, would they not? let us do it? Like, I draw like a child. I'm I do too. I draw terrible. worse than most children. Okay. I feel like yeah. we should do it and just send it in and be like, oh, this is from uh, young Benny and Sammy. And <laughs> Benny in Brooklyn. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah, Benny in Brooklyn drew this one. I think that would be a great idea. Just don't send it. Whatever we do, we can't send it from Benjamin.Hill at MLB.com. I think, no, I think no. it'll tip us off. <laughs> no. But I could send one of my drawings next to one of Harry's who's turning three on Saturday and uh, I'd be like, who did which one? Like, it's I'm that bad. <laughs> These are definitely my son's drawings. Yes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So that's a little sample, just a little sample for you of uh, other things to look forward on the Jumbo Jacksonville Jumbo Shrimp promo schedule. That is pretty great. Uh, you can, of course, check out the Jacksonville Jumbo Shrimp uh, promo schedule uh, at MILB.com slash Jacksonville. And uh, let's have a little baseball. Um Sam Dykstra, you guys, throughout the offseason, you've been getting some cool visitors uh, in the minor league baseball and major league baseball office scape. First off, do you like? Do you guys just like swoop in? Victor Scott and Chandler Simpson were there. Uh, do you guys just swoop in and be like, hey, you want to come see our row of seats? Michael Clare sits over here. Do you guys get I, to you get to hang out with him? I wish we did that. Uh, no, they never they, send any of these players to my house and just see the show before the show studio. They never there is a Colorado that. Springs office. I there think. is. There's a Boulder office as well. Apparently, I called yeah. uh, tech support recently, and uh, I was talking to a guy there, and he was like, "Oh, you're in Denver? I'm actually just up in Boulder." I was like, "Wait a minute, what?" But anyway, they never send anyone uh, to hang out with us here, which just seems kind of lame. Rude. I mean, they send Major League Baseball players to Denver. 
They do on Weekly. a regular basis. Yeah, yeah that, that is a thing that happens. Yeah, uh, you know where to find them. At my house. That's that's the thing. But no, I mean, like th- there are people who come through here, whether it's on the minor league side, if they're playing in Brooklyn, if they're playing in Hudson Valley, um, if they're playing in Somerset, if if you know they are members of one of those teams, sometimes they just kind of come through to get a tour of the MLB H- HQ. Um, do some stuff with the social team, do some stuff with the content team. Uh, so one of the guys, some of the guys who came through recently were Victor Scott II and Chandler Simpson. Uh, Victor Scott II plays for the St. Louis Cardinals. Chandler Simpson plays for the Tampa Bay Rays. Uh, but both of those guys go a ways back. I mean, they play, they both grew up in Atlanta. They were both draft picks in the 2022 season. They both played together in the North Woods League. Uh, and they talk about this in this story that I'm going to bring up here in a second. And they were tied together last year, quite literally, in terms of stolen bases. Uh, they both led the minor leagues in stolen bases with 94. We thought at one point that Victor Scott II actually finished the year with more stolen bases. One of those was taken away because it was a defensive yeah. indifference. Yeah, the whole thing. A scoring change that, yeah, that uh, turned that race into a tie. I will say, if you watch the steal uh it was not a steal like he should not have been credited to begin with it's it's unfortunate it went down that way but it it's fine it's almost better that they tie uh so these these are two guys who know each other well and matt monaghan did a story about them because they did come together to the mlb headquarters and they talked about we were talking almost daily like we we were checking in with each other how's the season going for you it was each of their first full seasons but most importantly they were saying like we wanted to see how the other guy was doing if if he was going to pull ahead of me. Like they are that competitive. They know how fast they are. When they played in the North Woods League for the Fond du Lac, uh, Doc Spiders. Doc right? Spiders. Are they the Doc Spiders? Yeah. Adjective. I know it was spiders, and I was like, yeah, Peter Doc spiders, spiders, wooden spiders. Same ownership group as uh, Wisconsin Timber Rattlers. There you go. Um, when those guys played together, they were batting one two in the lineup, and. They are legitimately 80 grade speed guys. I mean, it's top of the speed, top of the scale speed. So one would get on, the other guy would bunt him over to second, but would also reach because he was too fast getting to first. Then they would double steal. Then all of a sudden you got runners at second and third. Like it, it wasn't get him on, move him over. It was he's gonna move himself over. It's now my job to get on behind him. Uh, and that's just how their offense ran. So they they came here to the office to talk about kind of the art of the stolen base and how much, how competitive they are. And one thing that kind of perked my ear up in reading this story was, and I highly recommend uh, reading it on both MILB.com and MLB.com. Look up Victor Scott, the second Chandler Simpson, Matt Modigan, who wrote it. Uh, They said they both want to get to hundred stolen bases. And that seems fully within reach now, not just because of the athletes that they are, but they are incredible athletes. It's also about the rule changes, the fact that you can only throw over so many times, the fact that uh, there are pitch clocks now. The guys have to get rid of the ball. You can't just you know, sit there with, wherever and try to throw off the timing of the runner. Stolen bases are up across baseball. We saw it last year with Ronald Acuna Jr., Esther Ruiz, Corbin Carroll, Bobby Witt Jr. Like A lot of these guys are pushing the envelope. So it feels like we're going to be in a spot now where 100 stolen bases is definitely within reach, obviously. Those guys were at 94. Uh, and I wonder how many we're going to get to this season. And just for you guys, kind of as people who cover the sport, but also just as fans, you know, how important do you feel like stolen bases are? Like, is it more important to see somebody steal 100 bags next year than it is if we had a 
minor leaguer hit 40 home runs, for instance. Like, is that is that going to be the chase we're going to have now is how many guys can get above that century mark? Yeah, I mean, for me, you guys know current players a lot more in the, the game itself. Um, but yeah, as a longtime fan, um, you know, I came of age as a baseball fan in that era where guys were regularly stealing 100 bases and it was a big part of the game speed, you know, those Whitey Herzog Cardinals and all that. And um, so I think it is important that the game is trending in that direction. And I think it's fun and exciting as a fan because we've had multiple eras of explosive home run growth and not nearly as much in the realm of stolen bases. And, you know, it was very exciting when, you know, Billy Hamilton, um, you know, just stole a ridiculous amount of stolen bases uh, between Bakersfield and Pensacola. Uh, and what was that 2012? I want to say, yeah, um, that sounds right. but beyond that, you know, there haven't been like just out of control stolen bases for quite some time. I actually had wanted to write a story about Donnell Nixon, Otis's Otis Nixon's brother who stole 144 bases in the California league in 1983, the second most of all time in uh, minor league baseball history and professional baseball history. But yet he ended that season as the second most of all time, because in that same season, Vince Coleman stole 145. I mean, so to have night go back in time to 1983, 145 Vince Coleman, Donnell Nixon, 144. That's something I hope to write about in more depth at some point, uh, more historical exploration of that kind of thing. So yes, long story short for me, without having the greatest knowledge of the current speedsters who could do it, I love that the game is trending in that direction. And I personally would be much more excited by someone stealing 100 bases than you know guys getting into rarefied home run territory, unless it was truly rarefied. Yeah, I mean, if we're talking like 50, 60 homers yeah. again, that, that that's one, like Aaron, Aaron Judge, what he did two years ago was obviously very exciting. Um, but I'm talking purely in the minor leagues. Like, I don't think we're going to see somebody get 50 homers, but 100 steals feels within reach again. And how exciting that is. Tyler, what are you? Yeah, I'm with you. I think, um, you know, Ben put it well, we've we've lived through now a couple of different eras where um, the home run has been king. Uh, I don't even know if you could really say that it's been um, different, distinct eras. It's just felt like for the last, you know, 30 years, uh, home runs have been the thing. And, you know, I love home runs. I love watching dudes uh, sock some dingers, as uh, Mark McGuire said in that Simpsons episode. Um, but it's, you know... I don't want to say like, ah, it's played, it's played out watching home runs, but I do think watching different skill sets flourish is fun. And we have so much athleticism in the game of baseball right now. That's what's exciting to me is that you watch somebody like Ronald Acuna Jr. or Julio Rodriguez or Mookie Betts or Mike Trout or whoever. And these guys do so many different things well. It's not just the era of the slugger and being able to showcase all those different skills, I think is a very good thing. Um, that's where I come from with it. The ability to, um, provide base runners with, uh, not necessarily an advantage or something that's, uh, you know, un undue for, for base runners, but to give them a little bit of an equalizer or a level playing field or some incentive to gamble with stolen bases. Now, what I would really love is if somebody did, uh, break the, you know, the Vince Coleman record or something, are we going to have like stolen base truthers? Who were like, eh, but the six inches less. These guys had to go. You know, I mean, like when Roger Maris broke Babe Ruth's original record, people were like, didn't do it in 154 games. Doesn't count. You got to asterisk it. So are we gonna have like weirdos coming out of the woodwork? Like the bags are bigger. I don't know. These guys, it doesn't count. Vince Coleman's the one true stolen base king. I, I mean, I'm sure. They, 
I'm yeah. sure we probably will, but all at the same time, I mean, how many times have the rules changed in baseball? The right. mound's been lowered. Exactly. Um, you know, various things have happened throughout time. I, if somebody wants to make a stink, they're, they're more than welcome to do that. And I am more and than welcome to not join them sports. in making that stink. Yeah, yeah. And that's a fun thing in sports. It's like, you can have your arguments, you can have your right. thoughts. Uh, but I, I like your point about it welcomes more people into baseball because we were trending towards just getting guys with huge exit velocities. Right. Like that's, that's the thing that matters. And maybe we're getting back towards a, a time where that's not necessarily the case anymore. I mean, even Victor Scott and Chandler Simpson, this is the kicker of that story um, in Matt Modigan's story that, again, I implore everybody to look up. Hitting home runs, slugging percentage, it all still matters now, Scott said. But kind of having those different elements of, okay, when is this guy going to steal a base? How is yes. he going to impact the game with his legs? It all means something to the both of us now. It's becoming prevalent in today's game. Now Chandler Simpson says, it's a good way for us to let the new generation of kids know that there are other ways to impact the game. Yes. You can play baseball and make it to the big leagues, not by just hitting the ball over the fence. You can get in scoring position. You can hit a single. You can steal second, and it's just like a double. Steal second and third, and it's just like a triple. We're trying to inspire and motivate. I love, I love that. that message. It's a perfect message to end that story and just take into the game. like Take into various parts of this country and the world, obviously. That, hey, you might be fast, and that might make you think you have to be a wide receiver in football or right. guard in basketball. There are skills that translate on the diamond, too. You don't have to just hit the ball 400 feet. It'd be great if you could, and you know, you'll have hitting coaches trying to teach you that at the same time. But uh, listen, Aaron Judge would love to have 80-grade speed. He doesn't. Like That's just not a thing that happens. Uh, these guys have something that is truly elite. And the fact that they are using it in the game is super exciting. And I'm excited to see what they do next. And, you know, maybe we'll have that race to hundred this year. I think Simpson is definitely a candidate. I will say Scott isn't only because I think he's going to be in the majors. Okay. okay. Somebody who reached double a yeah. last year. Uh, I could definitely see him in the majors by the all-star break. So I don't think he's going to get a hundred in the minor leagues. Lord knows he's going to try to get there by July. But I don't think it's going to happen. Uh, two other names I'll throw out there. Justin Crawford, who when Jonathan Mayo, our colleague, threw out a poll to execs, he was named the fastest player in the minors. I don't think he quite is, but he's a big name. He's a top 100 guy for us. And he stole close to 50 bags last year. Maybe he really pushes the envelope this season. And Enrique Bradfield Jr. of the Baltimore Orioles, uh, super fast, super athletic, and now in a system that – They've had some fast guys in the past. They haven't had somebody like him. Um, so I think they would love to see what they can do with him and how quickly he can push to try to join Baltimore with his legs. Uh, fantastic stuff. Uh, again, as Sam noted, you can read those stories uh, or that story, I should say, from uh, Matt Monaghan at MLB.com and MILB.com. And uh, coming up, we're going to stop by Ghosts of the Miners with our friend Josh Jackson. And you, too, may hear a story about a, a guy who at least Sounds very fast. I don't know what his speed grade would have been on the scouting scale. But uh, Ghost of the Miners is coming up. And then we're back to wrap up the show next. We interrupt this podcast to bring you another thrilling edition of Ghosts of the Miners. Now, here's your correspondent and host, Joshua Jackson. (laughs) 
Welcome back to Ghosts of the Miners, in which all of you out there in Radioland must identify the legitimate historical ball club or player hiding amidst the fraudulent pair. One played for years and briefly touched the big leagues. The others played only in fantasy leagues. In the last segment, I asked you which of the following minor league baseball players did at one time exist. A. Flame Merritt. B. Ash Honor. C. Smoke Justice. You've blazed to the truth fair and square if you picked C. Smoke Justice. You may have supposed that a player nicknamed Smoke was a pitcher. Well, where there was smoke, there was fire. Justice once tossed four no-hitters in a single minor league season. The son of southeastern Indiana, given name Walter Newton Justice, made his professional debut with the American Association's Kansas City Blues of 1905 and didn't hang up the spikes until the end of the 1913 season. The flame-throwing smoke dispensed fastballs on the amateur circuit throughout his teenage years and into his early 20s, marrying a fellow Indianan named Minnie Gross in Covington, Kentucky in 1903 and fathering a daughter in January of 05. That spring, Smoke needed to start bringing home the bacon and left for the Blues camp in Georgia. It doesn't do justice justice to say justice fared well. For the 21-year-old was signed by and pitched two games for the Detroit Tigers that very summer. Alas, that early in his pro career, Smoke's stuff did not stack up well in the American League, as he walked six of the 20 batters he faced and allowed three earned runs in fewer than four innings. But he spent the next four seasons gaining experience and piling up W's with the Lancaster Lanks in the Ohio-Pennsylvania League and the Ohio State League. It was with the Lanks that Smoke burned his way into baseball history. On the last day of the 1908 Ohio State League season, in the opening game of a doubleheader, he took the hill against the Marion Diggers. Justice may or may not have been blind to the fact that Marion was one of just two opposing teams in the 16th circuit he had yet to no-hit that year. But he was a vision of excellence that start, taking the perfect game into the ninth when he walked a batter with two outs, then finishing a no-no by retiring the next Diggers batsman. That remarkable performance came just four days after his previous no-hitter. Yes, Justice was poetic in September of 1908. But earlier that same year, Justice had apparently suffered an attack that may have been an epileptic fit, and there are reports of him battling through mental health and nervous system issues throughout his career. In 1906, he reportedly was detained by police after sleepwalking through town in the middle of the night with two live chickens in his hands. And in reporting a brawl between the Lanks and the Diggers in May of 1908, the Marion Daily Mirror cited rumors that Justice had been twice institutionalized. But whatever travesties Justice faced, he continued to pitch well enough over the next few years to earn another shot at the majors, kind of, in 1913 when the Federal League tried to gain footing as an equal and a competitor to the American League and the National League. He spent most of that year with the franchise that started the season as the Covington Blue Sox. And to this day, you can visit a bourbon and smoked meats joint in Covington called Smoke Justice. And that's how Smoke lingers. Now, on to the question for next time. Which of these teams authored its destiny in the minors of yesteryear? A. The Hemingway Cubs. B. The Fitzgerald A's. See the Joyceville Pirates. Want to know the answer? Read a book. Or tune in to the next Ghost of the Miners. But for now, you'll have to excuse me. My producer Ben Hill is making an ice cream float, and I've got to torpedo it. <laughs>
to buy a smoker. Smoke justice. But I really do need to buy a smoker. Like, I'm turning into one of those, like, mid-late 30s guys who's like, ah, I want to try uh, making some pulled pork and brisket, whatever. Uh, and maybe if I get one, I will name it Smoke Justice. J-U-S-T-I-S, by the way, for Smoke Justice. I like how you went that way. You trended towards barbecue while I went towards, like, this sounds like the alter ego of the Marlboro Man. Ooh, he like puts on a mask at night. He's like, now nah, I'm smoke oh, justice. Just, yeah, it, but breaking like breaking up crimes on the frontier. Trying to make that cool. Like, don't smoke, kids. I, I'm not trying to say you should put on a mask and go out and c- smoke cigarettes and fight crime. Yeah, uh, but yeah, it yeah. just seems like something that big tobacco would have forced would have done decades smoke ago. Justice, the alternate yeah. identity. For, yeah, it uh, sounds like the name of one of the new bodegas opening up in New York city on, also, on nearly yeah. every block. <laughs> Seen that we got three ways of attacking this. That is true. That is true. Um, all right, you dudes, before we get out of here, uh, it's quiz time. This is one of my favorite new elements of the show before the show podcast. Ben, uh, stumping me and Sam on a now weekly basis. Uh, all right, Ben, what do we got this week? Yeah, this isn't a full blown quiz. It's just a guess the player. Um, I came across this guy's minor league stats. He's a he's a known player, not a superstar, but a, a guy who I think your name a name you recognize. And um, one thing led to another. I was looking at his minor league stats, and I was like, man, this dude, in addition to playing in the majors, played a lot in the minors. He appeared in parts of eleven seasons in the major leagues, nine hundred sixty games. Parts of nine seasons in the in the minors, nine hundred sixty one games. So very even breakdown between major and minor career. He hit 181 major league home runs and 239 minor league home runs. There's a plus 400 home run guy in Pro Bowl. Yeah, so 420 mm. professional home runs. Speaking of uh, smoke shops in the middle of Manhattan. Speaking of smoke justice. Um, <laughs> his career began in 1978. It ended in 1993. The minor league teams he played for, West Haven in the Florida State League in 1978, or in the Eastern League. Yeah, wow. I was going to say wow. West, West Haven. Haven. Yeah. yeah, in the Eastern League in 1978, Fort Lauderdale in the Florida State League in 1978 and 79, Nashville when it was a Southern League team in 1980, Columbus in 1981, parts of 82 and 83, and then was in the major leagues all the way through the back portion of 83 all the way through 90 and then finished with three seasons in Oklahoma city, 1991, 92, 93, including 36 home runs and hundred, 108 RBIs in Oklahoma city when they were then known as the Niners in the American association, triple a in 1993 at the age of 36, got one final call up to the major leagues in 1993, that same 1993 season that was his final season after three years away from the majors, where he played in two games for the Texas Rangers, got three singles. So he went out in a blaze of glory with 600 average in his final season, three for five. Any ideas? No. (laughs) The minor league organization he played for at first and then made his major league debut with the New York Yankees. Well, yeah, Columbus made me think of that. So that that initially got me thinking like Don Mattingly, but yeah, then he played. I don't think Don yeah, Mattingly, Mattingly did not play that long in the minors. Yeah. 
Um, then he never played for a minor league team in the system, but spent, and this is maybe where you can get it, parts of five seasons with the Kansas City Royals. A cameo in Seattle, back to the Yankees. Like Greg Nettles or something. And then three seasons in the Texas organization, almost entirely with Oklahoma City. But in that major league career, the bulk of which was 83 through 1990, he had 181 home runs. Most of those home runs with the Royals and the Yankees. I'm trying to think of like a 1980s Royals player who I – you know, did not uh, get a chance to see much in yeah, real exactly. life. Yeah. Uh, this is like literally before Sam's time because Sam was born in like, you know, yeah. 1998 or whatever. Career um, high, 36 home runs for the Royals in 1985. Played in 160 games, 36 home runs, 88 RBIs. I'm trying to think of like somebody who was in the news recently that would make you look them up. Nope, he's not in the news. Okay. Uh, his nickname man. was Bye Bye. Then his last name. Oh, I think that I think that got it for me. I think I got it for me. Was it Steve Balboni? Correct. Bye Bye Balboni. Yeah. Yep. Correct. Yep. Had I not gotten the nickname, I don't think I would have. I don't think I was like. Well, I know it's not Frank White. I know it's not George Brett, who was on those '80s Royals. Teams. Imagine George Brett being sent back to Oklahoma City <laughs> and getting three singles in 1993 yeah. with the. Well, Texas that's what Rangers. brought him to my attention. Yeah, like, interesting. Last last month, I did a little story on like AAA heroes, and someone brought up Balboni. They're like, the Oklahoma City had like a night in his honor in 1993. So he only spent three seasons there, but he's 34, 35, 36 years old. Already has close to 200 major league home runs. And he hit 86 home runs over those seasons uh, with Oklahoma City. You know, 180 RBIs in his age 36 season in AAA. You know, those are the kind of guys I always rooted for. And as I said, did get that final call up where he played in three games. And that was it for bye-bye Balboni. But It is kind of crazy, too, how, like, we don't really see those players in baseball anymore. Like, you don't look into AAA clubhouses these days and see 35, 36, 37-year-olds. Like, unless they're there on rehab assignments. That's just not the way the game of baseball has evolved. Um, so those are kind of cool stories to look back on, like the you know the Crash Davises of the world. Yeah, you don't see that as much anymore. Another guy interesting along those lines is Dave Kingman had 442 home runs after the 1986 season and then couldn't get a job in 87, and he was playing for Phoenix, I think the Phoenix Firebirds, Yeah, and was putting up huge power numbers in, in his late 30s for them, trying to get back in the majors and get back towards 500 home runs and – uh, I think he definitely felt there was a bit of a conspiracy against him. I don't know the specifics, but uh, yeah, Dave Kingman did that too, um, slugging in the minor leagues and never getting that that final chance. Dave Kingman had the distinction for a lot of years of being the player with the most home runs who was not in the Hall of Fame. Um, you know, that's gone by the wayside, obviously, especially with guys who have asterisks and whatnot. Yeah. But um, there was a number of years there, you know, throughout the 90s into the 2000s where he had that distinction of uh, – 442 home runs and couldn't even sniff the Hall of Fame and didn't get that final chance. Um, also a three-time draftee, uh, Dave Kingman, in the second round in 1967, then ninth overall in 1968, and first overall in 1970. Not a bad way to bump your draft stock. 
Yeah, I was obsessed with this. The reason I remembered off the top of my head he had 442 home runs is because I was obsessed with this baseball card as a little kid. There was one year where he played for a team in every division, back when there were four divisions, in one season. If you have mm. his stats up now, Tyler, I think wow. it was like 1977, yeah, I want to say. Uh, it would have been, yeah, 1977. He played 58 games with the Mets, 56 games with the Padres, 10 games with the Angels, and 8 games with the Yankees in 1977. Yeah. <laughs> How wild. Yeah, that is uh, crazy. Yeah, I mean, that one thing that makes me think of like why we don't see so many of these guys, like 35 year olds who are just with a team for an entire I wonder how much like opt outs affect this because you see so many minor league deals where it's like, hey, if I'm not with the major league club by May 15th or something, right. I can opt out and I can go find my own opportunity. It's not like, hey, so you used to sign those deals and then be like, hey, somebody come trade for me. I'm tearing it up and it's like, I don't want to give up an asset for a 37 year old. Like that's just not something teams want to do now. If it's, Hey, I'm going to opt out and I'll go find my own opportunity or I'll stay around. I remember covering this and this is way back now, but Kevin Millwood signed with the Red Sox once and everybody's like, Oh, this like guy who used to pitch alongside Maddox and Smoltz and uh, Glavin is now signing with the Red Sox on my early deal. And I went up to him. He's like, yeah, I have an opt out in May. Like if it doesn't work, I'll go find it. And he did. And that's just the way, and like the game is trended that way. Now, if there's yeah. a guy who signs a minor league deal with an invite to spring training and it doesn't work out, he's not looking to be in the minors for long. So, right. Yeah, and plus yeah. like the, the opportunities that are available, the amount of people that are going to Japan and Korea. That's what I was going to say. Right. I mean, not that that wasn't an option back then, but I think that's more prevalent now. Yeah. How many a, quad A players? Yeah. That if you're right. a modern day Steve Balboni and you're like, well, I could hit 36 home runs in AAA at age 36, or I could maybe make a relatively quick million bucks or whatever to go to Japan or Korea. And be a right. fan favorite over there. Yeah. Like, right. If you're really good over there, they'll love you. And that, that, that'll be your career. Like that yeah. is totally fine. You can make a very nice living doing that. We, um, we want as many people making it through the minor leagues as possible. This is yeah. a minor league baseball podcast, but right. like there are so many opportunities for baseball worldwide now. Um, if anybody wants to next, you know, it's Japan right. and Korea now. Maybe another one will come up in a few years. If anybody wants to hand me such a deal, uh, I recently tried out for a uh, uh, thirty-five and over league in Denver. If anybody wants to give me. Any of the, I'll gladly move abroad. My wife would be into that. As long as you'll take our dogs, we'll be cool. But if anybody have you talked this like over a, with her, or are you just speaking on? I'm her just behalf? speaking on her behalf. I think that's how good marriages work, right? <laughs> right. 100%. <laughs> <laughs> All right, you dudes. Well, we will wrap up for this week's episode of the show before the show. A huge thanks to the Jacksonville Jumbo Shrimp as uh, the 2024 season gets closer and closer. Uh, and a big thanks to Josh Jackson, of course, for stopping by and to Smoke Justice as well. The name of my future smoker. Uh, for Benjamin Hill, Sam Dykstra, Josh Jackson, and all the rest. My name is Tyler Mon. We'll catch you next week.